I'm so glad to be able to be here with you on this weekend, this very special Mother's Day weekend. And I'm happy to be participating in the Upside Down series. As I was reading in preparation for our time together, I was reading in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapters 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, and I was thinking about how how uniquely God parents us and how we are made in His image. And as we parent and express His nature to those that are in our lives and in our families, we are demonstrating to other people that we're God's kids and we look like our Father. So on this day, we're going to talk about all the, the unique ways in which God parents us because He loves us and He is intentionally walking and growing us up, working out our faith with fear and trembling. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. It says, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, which I like already that for this reason Paul is intentional in his activities and his actions and his communications. And, and as parents, we, we, we have our reasons too. For this reason I've sent you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, with the, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. I, I, I serve with Back to Back Ministries, uh, International Orphan Care Organization, and a couple of years ago we turned 20 years old and we had a gathering here in the Cincinnati area inviting anybody who had ever traveled on a mission trip with us to come together on that evening and celebrate that day. And this woman came up to me, I didn't recognize her, and she said, do you remember me? I came to Mexico 15 years ago when I was 13 years old. And I said, oh, wow, that, that was a long time ago. She said, do you remember? I heard you teaching on James 1.27 about taking care of orphans and widows in their distress. Those seeds got planted in my heart, and I thought to myself, even at that age, one day I want to express God's heart to those who are fatherless. And I said, oh, that's, that's so beautiful. Thanks for sharing that with me. And then she opened up her jacket, and inside she had this impossibly small baby she had hanging on in a baby carrier. She said, today, my husband and I, we foster medically fragile infants in Hamilton County, and I just wanted you to know what that seed grew up to look like. And the rest of that night, I told everyone about her. I was so excited. I kept saying, like, I can't believe that God would have planted that seed all those years ago, and this is how he manifested it what purpose he has for our lives, what intentionality that the story, the author of our faith writes in our lives. I saw her a year later, and I was, when I saw her, I was excited. I'm like, hey, how many babies have you had in your home this last year? And she's like, oh, no, I, I've just had the same one the whole, the whole year. In fact, we've spent most of the year in preparation for her adoption. And I said, that's so exciting. My husband and I are adoptive parents, and I, I just was celebrating with her for a minute. She's like, well, actually, a couple of weeks ago, the... The birth mother has begun to turn her life around, and the county put in place a reunification plan. So actually, uh, next week she's going to go home with her with her birth mom. And I said, how are you doing with that? Because that's a complicated story. She said, well, at first, I, I'm just going to tell you, I was, I was concerned. I was frustrated. I was like... I was discouraged. I thought, like, God, you led me on this path, and now you're taking this path away from me. And, and I said, what did, you, what did you do with all those feelings? And she's like, I just, I just kept talking to God about them. And that's, that's where the story gets really good, because as she began to take all, of that, all the pieces of her heart to God, God began to minister to her and give her. She's like, I felt like the Lord was saying to me all the ways I was feeling about that baby, God was feeling about that mama, that he was the parent to that mama in the same way that I was feeling maternal towards the baby in my care. And I realized that if he lives inside of me and that's how he feels about her, 
then he could put that kind of love in me, even for someone um, that, I, that I didn't know. And she said, I began to pray for her. I began to pray for the steps that she was taking in her life towards health. I began to reach out to her and text and send her pictures of her daughter. And this last week, she asked me if I would be the godmother of her baby. She said, I realize I'm going to be in her life for the rest of my life. And now I, I want to I want to demonstrate, I want to go to them, I want to share with them the things that God has done inside of me. And I looked at her and I said, you know what the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 16? That he so loves the world. He's such a good, he's a so lover, he's such a good lover. He so loves us in this world that like 15 years ago, he decided to to plant a seed in the heart of a 13-year-old girl because he knew that on this day, she would be compelled to act on his behalf towards one of his children who are outside of his family that he wants to bring in the family. There's a, uh, the word love in the New Testament came from Greek words. We have different definitions for different kinds of love in the Greek, but the kind of love that's used in that God so loves the world, that's a, that kind of love um, comes from the Greek word agape. Agape has this giant definition, but the part of the definition I like the best is agape love is compelled to act. That's the, that's the love that took Jesus to a cross. That's the love that some foster mom in Hamilton County was feeling towards someone she didn't know because for this reason, God does things intentionally through us so that we can express his heart to those that are inside of his family. And I think, I think when we get our heads wrapped around that God does things for particular reasons because of the way he loves us. That's the upside down part of, of that teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. That's the like, I don't understand always, God, why this is the direction we're moving in, but I'll, I'll trust you in the midst of it. My husband and I, when we um, first moved to Monterey, Mexico in 1997 to be missionaries to orphaned and vulnerable children, I didn't even realize... Um, we didn't have any kids at the time. I didn't, I didn't, there was a lot I didn't know about a lot of things. But right off the bat, I knew that regardless if my body worked in all the way it was supposed to, that I wanted to adopt a child and bring an adopted child into our family. And we met these two little girls that we loved so much, these little sisters that were one and three, and we began the process to adopt them while we were living there. But then halfway through that process, that it got fell apart with the government. It got disrupted. And my heart was broken because I absolutely wanted those little girls to be in my family. But at the same time, I had just realized that I had gotten pregnant. And so we knew our family was starting not in the way that we thought, but okay, God, you have other plans. And later that, um, that first year in Mexico, I would give birth to our daughter in May of 1998. And at the, about a month or so after she was born, we came back to Ohio. We had been in Mexico for a year. We would return back for 14 more, but at that point, we didn't know that. We came back to Ohio to get organized and to raise support so we could return to full-time ministry. And I can remember driving from Mexico up to Ohio all the way through Texas, kind of pouting my whole way through it, to be honest with you, because I loved my new daughter. I loved everything about her. But we were driving away from a place where I had met hundreds of orphans, and I just wanted to bring one of them home as my child. And I couldn't believe that God wouldn't let that happen. I couldn't believe he had disrupted those plans. I think sometimes when I try to get my head around why is God allowing certain things to happen, when I, when I get the most worked up, it's when I get the most fist shaky, it's when things aren't happening in the timing that I want them to happen. 
we were, that was 4th of July weekend, 1998. We got up back here to Ohio, and my husband needed to get a job while we were getting things organized to return back to Mexico. And so he took a job as the assistant principal at Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy in Cincinnati. And I was home with my daughter, and it was the first day of school in August. And he had been working really hard hours trying to show everybody he, he had earned that position that he had been given. And I got a phone call from some friends of ours who had traded us places in Mexico. While we had camp, came up here to get things organized and raise some money, some friends of ours had traded us places and were living back where we had been serving the year before. And they called me. And as soon as I picked up the phone, I could hear there was like chaos going on in the background, like screaming and shouting. And, and I was like, what's going on? What's going on? And they said, this, this little girl had been hit by a car that we all loved in one of the orphanages. A car had come out of park on a hill and rolled down over her. And they had only been there like a month or so. They didn't speak the language. And they were yelling at me on the phone, where do we take her? And where do we go? And what do we say? And how do we pay? And what do we do? And, and I'm starting to give them instructions, like go to this hospital and this is what you say. And in the real-time moment of that crisis, the only question I couldn't figure out how to answer is how I could get them the money fast enough that they were going to need for the work they were going to do that day. And now I know all about international wire transfers, but at the time I didn't know anything about anything. So I looked down at my, my newborn daughter, I looked at my watch, and I looked at the phone, I said, you know what, forget it. There's a noon flight out of CVG. I'll take that flight from Cincinnati to Mexico. I'll be there by dinner time. I'll bring the money with me. You go to the hospital. And they're in a crisis. So they're like, okay, great. And they hung up the phone. And then I thought to myself, man, Todd is so busy at work and I don't want to bother him. It's the first day of school. He'll probably like that we aren't going to be around this week because he can be like single focus. So I just left him a note on the front, on the, on the front table. It's like, Emma and I ran to Mexico. Ruth got hit by a car. We'll be back by the weekend. P.S. I took a ton of money. I'll, be, I'll talk to you later. And I went to the airport and then we flew to Mexico and I got to the um, hospital in Mexico and we took care of what we needed to with Ruth and I'm happy to report she fully recovered eventually from those injuries. And then we drove to the rental house that had been my home the whole year before that my friends were living in. And almost as soon as I walked in the door, the phone rang and they looked at me like, oh, you answer the phone, like you face the music. They thought for sure it was my husband. So I kind of sheepishly went over and answered the phone, but it wasn't Todd. It was somebody who was at the house looking for me. And they, I shouldn't have even been there that day. And if my friends had answered the phone, they wouldn't have even understood. They didn't have enough language skills at that point to understand what somebody was saying to them. And I answered the phone and it was an attorney who was just networking, calling around, looking for an American family that was paperwork ready and interested in adopting an infant baby boy in Mexico who had traveled across a different state line and only had international adoption eligibility of about 72 more hours. And somebody knew that we had had our paperwork ready for those little girls and gave them our name and number. So I'm listening to her tell me about this infant baby boy who had been born the 4th of July weekend. I was pouting my way through Texas. And I was like, okay, okay. So you're telling me I'd have to go to a different state I'd never been to in Mexico, a whole airplane right away, tomorrow at noon to adopt this little boy? She said, yes. I said, okay, okay, this phone call home is getting more interesting by the minute, right? And in the middle of that phone call, I felt this gift that God gives us. He, it's a gift we get as his kids. This is like the birthright to being a child of God. It's called, the, the Bible calls it the peace that passes all understanding. Like it doesn't make sense but God gives you a peace when you're about to step in a story that he's invited you into. And the word for peace in Hebrew it comes from the word shalom. You may have heard that word before. 
Shalom also has a great big long definition, but the part of that definition I like the best is Shalom, God's peace, literally fills in the cracks. And in that moment, all I could see were a whole bunch of cracks, but God literally was filling in my cracks with his presence. And it gave me the spiritual confidence to tell her I'll see you tomorrow at noon. I hung up the phone and I called home to my house and uh, my husband answered the phone in Spanish, kind of playfully acknowledging who he knew was on the other line. And after having some part of that conversation I probably shouldn't record here for the Whitewater community, we got to the phone call about this little boy and I was telling him that this attorney called and what, what they, they were telling us we, we could do the next day. And, and he said to me, like, wait a minute, wait, just wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And what he was doing in that moment he was making room for God. Like, I think that's, that's been my lesson in this COVID season as much as I can, just in, in circumstances and situations and decisions and conversations in conflict, wherever I am, just like make room for God so that he can come and fill that space. So when Todd was saying like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, he was making room for God to come and fill the space and to give him the gift that he knew he had the right to give the gift, the peace that passes understanding. And so as Todd made room and I made room and we had this big conversation, he said, I think you're right. I think we're supposed to go get him tomorrow. I said, okay, good luck telling your brand new boss you're gonna be gone for an indefinite amount of time tomorrow. So he flies from Ohio and I fly from this, this state I was in. We arrive in this town where our son was born and we met him the next, that, that, that very day. And I'd only been a mom like at that point, three months, but um, he was six weeks old. and. I knew almost as soon as I held him that there was something wrong with him. I didn't know what it was. I just knew his legs were scissored and I couldn't open them up. His arms were like frozen in some weird position and I couldn't straighten them to clean them out. He was born in the rainforest, so he had like a really bloated belly because um, a fungus had grown into his mouth and it made it difficult for him to eat. So he was losing weight, bloating his belly. He, that fungus was growing on his skin. So we were looking at our like, cross-legged, frozen arm, bloated belly, you know, fungus-covered looking brown baby. And we were saying to ourselves like, oh my gosh, isn't he so cute, right? Eventually we would complete that adoption in Mexico and bring him back here to Cincinnati where he was seen at the fabulous children's hospital here. And after lots of testing, I finally found myself in the office of a neurologist who was there to deliver to me the results of, a, of lots of tests we had done over a course of several weeks. And when that neurologist looked at me, I had a double stroller there. Um, Emma and Evan are exactly the same age. They're six weeks apart, so they were in that double stroller. And when I tell you what he said to me, it might sound to you like he was being disrespectful to me. He wasn't being disrespectful. I now look back on that and realize he saw a wildly naive young mom, and he was trying to get my attention. But he said, you look like a whippersnapper, so I'm going to tell you this as cleanly and clearly as I can. There are four degrees of cerebral palsy mild, moderate, severe, and profound. And your son has severe cerebral palsy. Never gonna walk. I don't know what he's gonna do about talking. I don't think he'll ever live independently. And the faster you can get your head wrapped around that diagnosis, the better off for this baby it's gonna be. And this doctor had no idea what he was doing, but he was stepping on something I would later call my spiritual bruise. Because the year before we moved to Mexico, my father at age 51 was diagnosed with cancer. And after a 10 month battle with that disease, uh, went home to be with the Lord. And in those 10 months that he was sick, I asked Jesus in all the way my Bible told me for his healing. I asked Jesus to heal him in, in his name, where two or three are gathered, when I had oil after I'd fasted, 
in all the ways my Bible taught me, and God still took my dad home. So I had become convinced that God just doesn't do that anymore. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't listen like that anymore. He doesn't move. He's not powerful like that anymore. And there had developed like a, like a bruise in my heart where, where I had, I just, I created workarounds around it. So you never knew that I had a bruise there, but God and I both knew I had a bruise. And when I think about that verse we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, where Paul says, for this reason, like I think God in that, in that room with me and that neurologist, he was about to do something about my spiritual bruise for a reason, because as it says, goes on to say in that verse, because he, he loves me. And he, want, he wanted to see me heal from that bruise. Well, we put all of our plans to go back to Mexico on hold, and I dove totally into the world of therapies. We did occupational therapy on Monday, physical therapy on Tuesday. We did this water therapy on Wednesday, magnetic therapy on Thursday. Like, I went to therapy on Friday. We were all busy trying to get healthy. And for the next 18 months, my son made almost no milestones. He didn't do all the things typically that a child would do at those ages and stages, the way his sister was um, automatically doing with a healthy body. And I just kind of, if you've ever been in a storyline like that, I just got head down in it. That's just all I could see. And all the dreams we had about a ministry in Mexico with orphaned and vulnerable children just kind of sat on a shelf as our other friends continued to stay in Mexico and keep all of that going while we were here in Ohio. Then one day, this lady from, I was living in Warren County at the time, this woman in Warren County from the county like early intervention program came to my house to evaluate our habitat and to see if there were things she could coach me on to do that would help Evan move some more. And she looked at me and this baby and Evan's body hurt all the time. His muscles were hypertonic, so they were real tight and he cried a lot and he sweat a lot and he was upset a lot and his sister would take his toy and he'd look over at me and he'd cry and I'd go get his toy and I'd fix his body and... She watched all that happening and she said, it looks to me like you're rescuing him too much. And I literally said, get out of my house. Like, you don't even know what you're talking about. Like, all this child does is get Cheerios dangled in front of his face and we're constantly trying to get him to move. What do you mean I rescue him too much? She's like, I'm just telling you, I think you rescue him too much. And I escorted her out of my house. And later that day, I was remembering what she had said to me. And in that afternoon when, when he cried one time because Emma had taken his toy, I actually sat down on the ground and I started to cry with him. And at first I was crying about him and then I was crying about Mexico. We couldn't go to Mexico. And then I was crying about my dad and grieving him. And, and I left the room for a minute to go get a Kleenex, but it's no big deal to leave because he can't go anywhere. And I, uh, when I came back in the room, I could tell his, his cries had kind of changed because when you're a mom, you know like every font of every cry, you know like the I'm hungry cry and I'm tired cry. And his cry was different. So I went in to go look to what was going on and he was on his belly kind of like an army crawl and he was moving across the floor, something he had never done before. So I got all excited, forgot about what I was crying about, got in front of him and I began to coax him like kind of the way you try to coax a child who's trying to move or swim or something. And I'm like, hey buddy, look at you, you're doing it, keep coming. And it wasn't really that coordinated or attractive, but he was moving across the floor enough that I decided to leave and go get our phones we used to have on our walls, remember this? And uh, we had like um, video cameras that were like totally separate than our phones. And I wanted to get a camera to film what he was doing to show his dad later and to get a phone to call my mom to come over and see what was happening. When I got back in the room, he had gotten all the way across the floor and was stuck up against a couch. And 
that's when I remember the most, like, like the hairs on the back of my neck standing up because I, I knew what I was looking at wasn't natural. And he, he held on to the skirt of the, the couch, like the fabric of the couch with his fists, and he rocked himself. And it, it, it wasn't pretty, but he like popped himself up to a stand. And then he, he cruised is what they call it. He held onto the couch and walked along the length of the couch. He got on the end and he pivoted on his ankle and he walked across the room into my arms. I, I actually still don't have words for that moment. I scooped him up, I remember that. I stuck him in car seats, probably never buckled him in, drove a hundred miles an hour to where their dad was working. It's like any Christian school you've ever seen, like circle drive in the front. I pulled in that thing, took out a bush. He came running out of his office to find out what was on fire. I didn't even know how, to, I didn't even know what to say. I just stuck him on the ground, Evan on the ground, and he walks over to his dad. We have this moment in this lobby of this Christian school where we're just crying and laughing and talking about like soccer fields and wedding aisles. And, and he said to me in the middle of all that, Todd said, I know where you're going next. I'm like, absolutely. I'm going to go see Dr. Whippersnapper. I need somebody to tell me what we are looking at. And later he would write a, a paper about how he believed that Evan being around his sister was like being in therapy 24 seven because he was always motivated by her movements and modeling her movements. But I know exactly what happened in that moment. The heavenly father intervened in that storyline and did something only God can get credit for. We turned around and moved to Mexico almost immediately after that. Uh, Mexico, you play a bunch of soccer. So when Evan was a toddler and into school, we, he was on soccer teams and he would like run down the field and score and I would start crying watching him even though it had been years since he had been healed. He would go on to be on a junior high traveling team and he would say to me like, mommy, you can't travel with our team this weekend if you're gonna cry every time I score, you know. When he was 16 years old, we moved back here to Ohio. In Ohio, we play a lot of football. So he learned how to catch the football as the wide receiver for his uh, Cincinnati high school. And uh, I remember the first time he caught a touchdown pass, I was like so glad the stands were so far away from the end zone because I was up there just crying still, this is what God could do. Today, he's a senior at Taylor University where he plays wide receiver for that um, college football team. And I brought a picture for you of him and his sister so you can see uh, what they look like today. And the way that God ended up healing my bruise was my realization that the same girl with the same faith prayed to the same God about two people I totally loved. And one of those stories turned out nothing like I wanted it to. And one of those stories turned out better than I even asked him for. And at the end of the day, the way that bruise got healed is I recognized God is not a genie God. He's not something that we can rub out of a, a bottle and then he does things. He's not, he's not conformed into my image. Instead, I am made in his image. And if God is writing a particular story, I've got to bow my knee in front of his altar and recognize and acknowledge and celebrate his sovereignty. And I think, I think that's the upside down part of this gospel storyline. That's this like, I've got to believe and trust that in all the moments things aren't happening the way I like them to, or the way I predicted, or the way I can control, or the way that I want. I get to be in the middle of those kinds of storylines and say, God, for this reason, what are you up to? Can I trust that it's no matter what because you love me? Can I make room for you in this storyline, allow you to fill it? when? When God was telling Moses how to build a tabernacle, this is like mid-Exodus, like Exodus 25, he basically said to Exodus, just make room for me. Just make a space for me and I'll fill it. Can I be the kind of 
kid of God that when I, when I don't like it, instead of shaking my fists, I say, God, make room. I'm going to make room for you. And then trust that his peace that passes all understanding will fill in the cracks of my heart and give me the gift that I most desperately want in this moment. That's my prayer for you. That wherever you are, however this day, this weekend falls on your heart, whether you love celebrating it, or it's a day you just can't wait for it to be over, that on this day, you make room for God and ask him to give you his peace. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful. We are so grateful that you love us and that every other story, every other truth, every other thing we know and learn and experience with you sits on top of that baseline that you love us and care for us on purpose. Would you be with this community on this weekend? Would you meet them wherever it is that they're at? And would you remind them of the things that you have told us in your beautiful word? And I pray all these things in your holy and precious and resurrected son, Jesus. Amen. <music>